really like. Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, love you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. It's the Trojansports.com podcast. We're back. I'm Chris Swanson, the publisher of Trojansports.com. And I'm back. Adam Maya, the beat writer. I want to introduce myself today. I hope you don't mind. That's the, this is like the second or third time in a row that you've done that. Uh, I went for so it today, though. I think I should just let you do the introduction now. No. Adam actually forces me to do the introduction, and then he interrupts me. <laughs> it's fun. It's a fun game we play. So, yes, welcome back. Adam, how are you? I guess I'll ask you. You know that. I'm good. Yeah, good. Because if you weren't good, you wouldn't say anything anyway. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't tell you. Oh, I'm great. I'm always great. It's another day at Trojansports.com where there's a lot going on. A lot to check out if you're not a member of the site. A lot of recruiting news. I have a bunch of updates on quarterbacks right now that I think everybody should check out, and there's more coming. Uh, But today we also broke the commitment of Stanley Talfu to USC. And uh, so if you want to check out all these stories, make sure to sign up. And we have a great promotion going on. If you want to sign up right now, it is free until August, and this promotion is ending this week. So make sure to jump on it. It's free until August at usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up, and that promotion is ending this week. So jump on it and get all the inside recruiting scoop. And also you get to interact with Adam J. Maya, which is... And my son, apparently. I don't know if you guys caught that, but I think he might be a little bit upset that the promotion is going to end. I I can hear him. Uh, I you didn't give him an account for free. No, can't no free ride. <laughs> He's gonna take your credit card and sign up. So get ready. I have a um, few years before I have to worry about that. Well, good. Uh, I'll make sure to teach him how to do it though, so he can buy me some things on Amazon.com. Um, yeah. So it's a question show today, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, we're gonna do a little Q and A. With our subscribers, we fielded a bunch of questions on the message board. But before we get there, let's talk about this commit, which just came down within about the last hour. Uh, 2019 linebacker Stanley Kalfu. We're not even completely sure that that's how you pronounce his name. We apologize if we're getting that wrong at this point. But... My, my main question here, because I know Rivals is still evaluating him, and he's unranked, and or he's, he's, actually, he's a three-star, but he's not rated among you know the top players in the nation, and I'm sure that Adam Gorney will do his due diligence and get around to that, but your impression right now, because we've seen this before, 
is this someone that you expect to be in this signing class? If you had a guess, I'm putting you on the spot here. I know you're guessing. I want your best guess. Is he in this signing class? Maybe. No, 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 no. It's okay if you're wrong. Just I'm gonna, you know, what do you think I'm, right now? When you right, when you heard right about now, his commitment, did you think okay, like that will stick, or I doubt he's there in February? Whenever I see an early three-star commit, I always have to say I I doubt he'll be there in February. Yeah. Um, because USC is notorious in recent years for doing this. Uh, I also think that. USC staff has been notorious for in recent years for not being entirely sure how many kids they're going to take and preparing for the best case scenario. I think he's underrated, most likely. He's not playing the position that he's listed at uh, by Rivals.com. That's not the position USC wants him to play. So sometimes when I see that, I think, oh, if Rivals or other websites actually did see the kid a lot, and not just his film or whatever, and they're going on more than that, uh, they're not seeing him at a different position, which is what USC is seeing him at. Yeah. Um, so I could I could see him being a four-star at that other spot and being a take in the class, without question. But these early commits, these three stars, I always have to think it's not going to happen because it seems like every year there's one or two uh, that or maybe even more, they get pushed out. Uh, and, you know, and USC, it's generally because USC does well in the field recently and, and ends up taking a higher-ranked kid or a kid of, uh, you know, different positions of higher need. So I guess I would say no at this point. If he was a five-star, I would say yes, because I think USC would fight to hold on to him. And I, and I think that whenever somebody commits this early, it's their intention to end up at that school. Uh, you know, it's usually because they have some kind of connection to the school or they dream of going to the school or something. So if he was highly ranked, I'd think, yeah, USC will hold on to him. But uh, it seems to me like they will probably have other guys that they would want if things go perfectly. Okay. Well, that's a fair assessment. My feeling is that he's probably more likely to be in this class than your typical commit uh, at this early in the process because USC has room for about a full class. We actually did a big piece this week called The Perfect Class where we basically run through each position and put together a, a composite of prospects who are at or near the top of the board for USC. And as we did that, we try to project how much room they're going to have. Well, we know that they're going to have at minimum 20 spots. And actually for factoring in players maybe retiring for medical reasons or transferring, a lot will happen between now and, you know, next February. So we're, we're saying 20 in that perfect class. But that's being extremely conservative. That's pretty much the, the minimum. They're probably going to have around 25. I don't know if they'll have 25. It might be 24 or 23. But I'm guessing more than 20 and maybe even 25. 
with that, they're going to have room to take kids that they see a lot of potential in that maybe are a little bit rawer. And that might be what we're seeing here with Stanley. So, they offered him today. This is Wednesday that we're recording. And he committed right away. And we've seen that play out differently at times where when a kid commits immediately, the staff will accept it because they don't want to ring on his parade. But the offer isn't always as uh, genuine as the kid might feel it is. And, and that's something that we're just not going to know right now. So, again, we can't be totally confident that he's sticking, but if they really like him, and there's obviously a chance that that's true, then I think there is a better shot of him sticking right now. I feel like some of the, some of the geek commitments that we've seen in recent years, those kids actually committed a full year before this where they were a long-standing commit, but they committed about a year, a year and a half before they were going to sign. Where this kid actually is trying to position himself to sign in the early signing period. He's only about a half a year from that. And that's a conversation that they would have had with him, USC that is. Therefore, he's not that far removed from being in the class even though USC only has four commits from 2019, we're, we're not that far removed from them needing to fill this class. They, they feel a little bit behind, in fact, if anything. So they offer him today. That means that they want him right now. And given that there's only about a half a year between now and when he would try to sign, I'm, I'm guessing that he is in the class. That's my guess. Here's another thing going for him. He doesn't play wide receiver. <laughs> right. And you're joking, but you're not. It's it, You're right. That's exactly how I describe it. I'm joking, but I'm not. Yeah. All right. Cool. Again, I want to uh, reference the perfect class because it's something that we spend a lot of time on. It's something that we work on over the course of a few weeks. And I think it's one of the better things that we do here at Trojan Sports. Uh, we put up the first version. It is a piece that we will update periodically between now and the early signing period. And uh, you know maybe even before National Signing Day. I don't even know what to call it National Signing Day anymore. It feels weird to call it that because I have a feeling that more than half the kids are going to sign in the early period now. Uh, I honestly, I know I've talked to kids that have said they want to sign in February, but I can't remember who they are. And I think it's been like maybe like three out of the hundreds I've talked to. Mm-hmm. feels like everyone. This, well, this time last year, nobody really knew what was going to happen. And all the right. kids were kind of unsure. And even approach, approaching December, they were unsure what they're going to do. And I think the schools kind of push them into it. Yeah. And this year it seems like everyone is set on December. It's all going to happen in December. Yeah. So, uh, I think it makes our piece even more relevant right now. Um, just a quick recap of what it is. We go through each position and not only do we list the top 
prospect or someone that we would project that USC is targeting there. But we tell you how many they need at each position. And a year ago when we did this, we did this around the same time in May, and I think we were spot on on all but one position in terms of how many they would take. And in a number of the kids... What was the one? Yeah. Well, linebacker. I didn't know they were going to take six. That's right. Yeah, I we projected five. Yeah. Um, and so what, what we do is we look at the roster and, you know, I, I look at who's leaving, who could leave, who's look likely going to play, you know, this year or the coming years. And, and these are the conversations that I know that the staff is having amongst themselves and and with you and with me <laughs> yeah not quite but uh, I am able to to give you an idea of okay they're going to look for this many corners or this many safeties or this many offensive linemen and we go position by position and we give you the top prospects on each spot we give you some alternatives uh, we give you secondary needs beyond the primary ones. It's something I like doing. You know, it, it takes a while. It's something that Chris and I work on, like I mentioned, over the course of multiple phone calls. But at the end of the day, um, I think it's a good guide for a good reference, really, from from now for the next six months. It, it's something that I constantly refer back to. Uh, you know, during the, the recruiting process. So be sure to check that out. It's called The Perfect Class of 2019. And we just published it this week. Adam's very proud of that piece. I am. Because we work hard on it. I think it's good. It yeah. is good. I just think my quarterback re, uh, reporting deserved five minutes of promotion from you. But You're right. Well, okay. well, let's talk a little bit about that because USC did have – and, and the, the quarterback that we included in our perfect class, you know, it, it kind of changed this week. And so this stuff is obviously fluid. Um, at quarterback is where typically they will kind of set their sights on a guy for a while, and they had done that with Jaden Daniels. And right now the indication is that Jaden is not going to come to USC. No. And with that, they're moving on. USC has started to expand its search and there are a couple guys that they're honing in on and Swanson has already reported on both these guys and and has all the details there and so uh, you have done a wonderful job on that front and And there's more to come I I feel like there's a little bit of a malaise with quarterback recruiting right now from the fan base because we're, we have a fresh competition in front of us. You have an incoming freshman who's all world, and you think that he'll win the job, and then if he wins it, then he'll keep the job for a long time. And that might all be true, but I never think about quarterbacks in that manner. I feel like, yeah. especially at USC, it's such a special position that you better be great, and you're not great until you've proven you're great. And if you're not great, 
then nothing is promised. And Max Brown is the embodiment of that. And so I would not ignore their pursuit of a quarterback in 2019 because that might be the quarterback that brings USC a national title. That's totally plausible. It's true, and let me tell you that the quarterback they visited yesterday, which I have a full report on, I feel like is one of the best in 2019, and I feel like if, if they offer him a scholarship and go after him and get him, it, it could be huge for them. It could be as big as JT Daniels. He's he's almost that level. He's right outside of five-star status, and he might get it uh, this year. And then uh, the quarterback they're visiting tomorrow I think is very special, and, and if they did – uh, offer him and flip him. It would also keep him away from a conference, uh, uh, in division even rival. So there's okay. a lot of storylines to follow because the thing with quarterback recruiting too is that if USC doesn't get a top guy in this class out on the West Coast, you know if they don't get these guys, it kind of helps the the rivals. And sometimes you see you know one of these four star quarterbacks end up being really really special and the guy that everybody thinks, ah oh, man, I wish you know USC had gotten him back in the day. Mm-hmm. So it is sure. worth checking out, without question. And more to come because there's actually a bunch of talented quarterbacks on the West Coast that expect USC to stop by to check them out before the, the spring evaluation period is over. How difficult do you believe it's going to be to land one of these primary targets given that JT Daniels is about to arrive and looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback sooner rather than later? I think it's going to be very difficult because I, I think they've already had trouble with it uh, before that. Uh, you know, uh, Cade McNamara's father is a USC fan, uh, and Cade McNamara grew up a USC fan, and he ended up committing to Michigan, and I'm pretty sure it had something to do with that. Um, you have Jaden Daniels, who you mentioned earlier, who I think is a kid that uh, nine times out of ten USC would get without question, right? He's a quarterback from San Bernardino that they wanted, and I, I think he's going to go to their crosstown rival, uh, maybe because he grew up as a Chip Kelly fan and an Oregon fan, but I think also because of JT Daniels. And now it seems to me like a lot of these top uh, quarterbacks that they're after, there are guys that are not committed yet. There are quality guys that are not committed that they will be able to find that they're in contact with. But a lot of these kids are committed, and that will make it tough, I think, because now not only are you dealing – with the fact that you have JT Daniels and maybe, you know, a lot of these kids are scared off by him because you have to remember JT Daniels was in the 2019 class before USC picked him while he was in the 2019 class over all these other quarterbacks. Right. Good point. And these kids knew about him and knew what he was. He was ranked higher than them while he was in this class. And, and now, you know, he, you might've scared these kids, a lot of these kids off. And then now you have to flip kids on top of that so you're dealing with programs that are going to fight to keep uh, these quarterbacks. Quarterbacks generally commit to a school and don't change their mind. And if they committed, they probably picked a school that they feel like is a really good fit for them. So I think it is going to be really hard uh, for USC to get that USC caliber quarterback in this class. I think it's going to take a kid that's really that looks at JT Daniels and goes, I don't care if, they picked, if USC picked you over me basically a year ago. I think I'm better than you, and I think I'll prove it. And, you know, uh, it's a rare kid because I think, you know, in football and at quarterback, a lot of people are making business decisions, and I think it's why you, you, a lot of times you don't see two quarterbacks in the same class 
and that kind of stuff is I think you know these are smart kids making business decisions for their future and I think it's going to be hard to convince a 2019 quarterback to to make that choice when JT Daniels is there especially if he's really competing for the starting job that early so we'll see on that okay I don't mean to steal the thunder of our pending Q&A here but I have one more question on this topic for you. Ooh, do it. Okay. If there was any year where you were going to skip taking a quarterback, because JT is a true freshman and Jack Sears is a redshirt freshman, and even Matt Fink is a redshirt sophomore, would this be the year to do it? Would you do that? If you're, you're Clay Helkin. And you, let's say you cannot get one of your top three options. Would you seriously consider not taking a quarterback? It's, that's, it's tough, right? It's tough because normally I would say yes, because what's the point of taking a quarterback at USC that's not top level, right? It almost feels like that kid will eventually – get beat out and transfer. It seems like a waste of a scholarship in a way. But at the same time, if JT Daniels wins this job, do you have your other two quarterbacks all of a sudden? Because if you have two scholarship quarterbacks or one scholarship quarterback, that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just feel like if he wins the job, somebody's transferring. Uh, And I feel like even if somebody didn't transfer, I'm not high on USC's quarterback group on that group of quarterbacks. I feel like, you know, coming into this year, that group's an issue. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And so I would want to add to it anyway, even assuming that, like, they'll get better in the next few years and mature. And maybe two years down the line, that's a really nice-looking group. I would still want to add to it. So I would take somebody. But you know what? You're right. Is If you start looking at a quarterback where you're like, man, is he really a guy that's going to play here? You have to think in 2020, right? They have mm-hmm. offers out to some really good quarterbacks in 2020. There's a lot of really good quarterbacks in Southern California in that class, not to mention nationwide. It might be the time to do it. So I think you have a good point. I'm just not sure what I would do Yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to pose a question, but for me, I, I don't even blink. I take a quarterback. There you uh, go. And they have a full class. Even if they were taking only like 18 or 20 or whatever, I'm taking a quarterback every year. Every year. There's not one year that I skip under no circumstances. I'm just well, taking one. I think that uh, the position is too important. And I think by not taking one, you're putting way too many eggs in the J.K. Daniels basket. Now, he might be really good, but what if he's not? Or what if he's not available for some reason? And I do anticipate a quarterback transferring should he win the job this year or become the starting quarterback this season. And I think they will be down to two. I'm taking a yeah, quarterback I, no matter what. Well, they should have taken a grad transfer, really, because they could have skipped it right if they'd added another like uh, quarterback like kind of like the stopgap quarterback and kind of delayed these transfers for a year. Uh, I, I think it would be smart to take a junior college quarterback. I just think it's hard to find those guys a lot of times that are like SC caliber. But it seems to me like they would... Do you mean coming into better. this year they should have brought one in? 
Yeah. I, I mean, what it feels like that, but I think going into spring, this is their job. They've had Matt Fink now. That was his third spring. He's been there for over two years. Jack Sears was in spring number two. He's been there for a year and a half. I get it. But if you're telling me, hey, the 2019 recruiting for quarterbacks is going to be difficult because of JT Daniels. Yeah. And I think that that's because of everything we mentioned over yeah, the few that's last fair. minutes. That's, that's going to be hard. totally fair. Yeah. Okay. You could skip it if you had the graduate transfer quarterback come in this year. Because think about it. If they had that guy, well, you kind of delay the transfers for a year. We, we know the that they had committed deeply to JT. To the point where they declined Shea Patterson. Well, that's I know they should have taken. So he wasn't a grad transfer, but if that's who you're referring to, then yes, I take Shea Patterson, and I call JT's bluff. I don't think he's going to commit elsewhere. I think that JT still would come to USC with Shea Patterson. I would have taken Shea Patterson's uh, transfer. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Yeah, or and somebody and then, else, somebody and older, then, a JUCO guy, something. No, no, I mean not just anybody. I would have taken Shea, and then then in that situation, sure, I'm skipping on the 2019 quarterback because I have Shea and I have JT. I'm adding two quarterbacks. That's a little bit different than the premise of my question, where they just brought in one quarterback 2018. Do they yeah. bring one in 2019? I think you have to, but. Had they brought in two now, then I think that changes the complexion yeah. of the Well, position. because JT becomes your 2019 quarterback. Right. He's red he red shirts, and he's behind Shea for probably a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't do that. And that. That's not something that is really discussed a lot. And at this point, it, it's not going to change anything. But it is something to consider and follow this fall. I think Shea Patterson is going to be a really good quarterback. I think he is one, but I think he's going to become a really good one. And he could have been at USC. And he could have been there now. And I think if USC had a veteran quarterback right now, like if if Sam Darnold had come back, I'm not saying that Shea is Sam, but Shea has uh, comparable game experience. And if you had a veteran quarterback right now on this USC football team, my outlook on the team would be completely different. My expectations and, and where I think they would ultimately, what, what I think they ultimately would achieve. I think this is a rebuilding year because of the quarterback situation. I agree. I don't think it would have been that with Shea Patterson. No. I think that this team is a favorite in the Pac-12 if, with Shea Patterson. I agree. And then when once you win the conference, then you're you're at least in the New Year's Six Bowl. Anyway, all right, let's do the Q and A. Q&A, we're on to it. <laughs> Am I reading the questions? Yeah, you're going to oh, drive the, the ship. 
All right. We are starting with JFK to LAX. I love that username, by the way. It's been just over two years since Lynn Swan was hired as athletic director. What's your assessment of the impact he has made on the football program and the larger athletics program at USC? From your perspective, have there been any noticeable changes for better or worse? What would you like to see more of from an athletic director to push the football program to the next level? And why don't you think we have seen it? I'll start with you, Adam. Okay. Well, just to be fair to Lynn, it has not been two years. He was announced over two years ago, but he didn't go into office until this summer. So he's approaching two years. But same difference. He's been there for about two years. And... I don't really have a strong opinion on what he's done or hasn't done because, in terms of the football program because I don't think there's a lot he should have done at this point. You have to remember that Clay Helton had been hired just before he took over. And that's really clumsy of USC to do it that way, but that's what we've seen from them for a while now, from their administration. And so they hire Clay Helton just before they change athletic directors. And he's new and he's unproven, although he's beloved at the university, if not by a great deal of the fan base. Lynn Swan can't fire him. He can't he can't change coaches before Clay begins. He can't change coaches after Clay wins the Rose Bowl. He can't change coaches after they win the Pac-12 and play in the Cotton Bowl. I don't think that Lynn is satisfied, nor should he be. But at the same time, this isn't the time where you can make drastic changes. So on that front, there's nothing to do. The only thing that I would nitpick, I, I think it would be nitpicking, or maybe it's not, would be from what I've been told, they've been a bit frugal with assistant coaches. And I think that would be a mistake. I think that they have young, talented coaches that they should invest in. And I think they have some veteran coaches that they should hold accountable a bit more. And, and that's where I think the athletic director has the right to meddle and maybe hasn't done so enough. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree that it's too early to really say anything about what he's done uh, with the football program. The coach wasn't his hire. The hire has gone well, uh, much better than I think most of us expected, definitely much better than I expected. So I don't think there's anything that he can really do uh, with football to you know make me judge uh, what he's doing in, in, you know with that sport. There's, not, there's not, not much maintenance needed right now for the football program. I like everything he says. 
I like that after last year's Rose Bowl season, you know, he pointed out publicly that USC didn't win the Pac-12 and they didn't live up to their standards or whatever else. I like everything he's saying, but it is too early. I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, contract extension for Clay Helton, but I get it. So I'm not going to judge him too harshly on that. Um, yeah, so I'd say uh, too early. I guess incomplete is maybe what my grade is uh, because the course isn't finished yet. I feel like uh, with some of the other programs, I would I feel like I'm seeing a little bit of Pat Hayden in him where it, to me it seems like uh, the other two sports that really matter, I feel like, because there's a lot of sports that do great at USC and it, it, no one really cares or judges the athletic director based on it. But I'd like to see the baseball team do much better and I'd like to see him eventually go after and aggressively pursue a top-level baseball coach. And I'd like to see him do the same thing for the basketball program in a few years after everybody finally figures out that the basketball program is just a average Pac-12 program is doing nothing either. So I'd like to see both those things happen. I don't think basketball is going to happen anytime soon. We might see it happen with baseball because they're a little bit of a mess. But I just want to see when that time comes for a hire from Len Swan. I want to see him go try to get the best available. And that's what I'm going to judge him on. Yeah, me too. I'm glad you brought up the contract extension. I should have pointed that out as well. The issue with that publicly is that we don't know the terms. We don't know how committed USC is to Clay. The, the extension shows a greater level of commitment, but it's vague. We don't know if the final years are a university option and when they kick in. So this might just have extended his guaranteed tenure a year, for all we know. It, it's just unclear. And I don't know that there's a huge buyout either. And if there's not, then that's okay. I think right now I would still be evaluating Clay. Just because there's not a pedigree there. I think Clay has done really well by USC and deserves what he's getting at this point. He's winning enough that he deserves to, to be the coach, to have some security. Uh, in fact, someone asked me last night if, uh, if he could get fired this season. And I said no. Unless the bottom fell out and they ended up like 2-10, and 10, which is not going to happen, then no. I still don't think he would. If he went 2-10, and 10, I think he would. I just, I, I, I can't imagine it happening. It's unfathomable. But that's not really where I want to go with this. The point is, um, I think that because they're starting over at quarterback, he has that luxury of being able to build and, and uh, time in a couple years where before he has to win maybe another Rose Bowl or, or win at that level and, and get in the Final Four. Right, I think that ultimately he's going to be judged by appearing in the Final Four, and then if he were to do that, then win the national title. I don't think you can fire him after he made an appearance in the Final Four, if that were to happen. But then once he got into the Final Four, then it's like you have to win the national title very soon. Right now, I don't think he has to do that this season. I think that the quarterback gives him 
that you know, that benefit of the gout where, okay, you're going to need more time and we're going to give it to you. I don't think he has a ton of time. I think that by 2020, that's three seasons, he probably needs to be in the, in the final four. What do you think? Is that, is that right? Final four by 2020? I I don't know. It's hard because, I mean, I feel like if he missed it, but but they were winning and staying at a pretty high level, I'm not I'm not sure. For them to miss it, it would it looks like even if they win the Pac-12, right? We're trying to get like as close to the line as possible of not it's making your, it. Your base, yeah. It's they, like it's hard not. They're to make eleven it and two. They're they're, the they are what they were this year. Yeah. It would be eleven and two for them to win the conference and not make the final four. And I think if he kept doing that, I think they would move on from him. I think he would. Like well, th- after twenty twenty. I think by the twenty twenty season he has to go twelve and one or better and get in the final four. That's just my guess. That soon? Well three years. Three seasons. Okay. Yeah, twenty eighteen. It kind of depends on how those seasons go. Yeah, well, I'm saying so. Twenty eighteen, you know, they could go seven and five because of the quarterback situation, and in twenty nineteen, they they can't go seven and five again. He would need to win nine or ten, I think. And twenty twenty, we want to be in the final four. I think that's going to be the approach that they're going to have with him. But you, so you think if they went seven and five, nine and three, nine and three, they would fire him? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. And again, we don't know the terms of that contract, but it might just be they're not extending him. The guaranteed years might end right there, where you know it's a, a school option thereafter. And that's what's hard with all this. That's why we're speculating, but. I do think if they were nine and three in three years, and hadn't hadn't even, I mean nine and three, I guess you could have won the conference, but you're not even close to the final four. Yeah. I, I it guess, just feels like it's enough on the edge to me though that they might let it slide just because he has had a couple good seasons already. But it, he'll be he'll be, he'll be five years removed from that Rose Bowl by that point. Yeah. Anyway, good question, though. I wish we had a better answer in terms of his impact. I think it's still to be determined. I don't think he's had a great impact, but not because he's dropped the ball, but because he kind of entered a situation that was already moving, and it hasn't necessitated great action yet. All right, let's move on. Marty S.C. Syke says, It looks like Alabama is coming further west to recruit players, even ones on the defensive line. So I'd like to know how the coaching staff at SC is competing with the Crimson Tide on those players that are at stake. Marty, I will tell you this. I don't think USC is losing any sleep uh, over Alabama coming out west and taking guys. Does it happen? Yes, Alabama is a great program. It's very similar to what Pete Carroll did at SC, right? Where that kind of program is going to be able to leave the region 
and attract some top kids. But I don't think uh, schools in these other regions worry about it too much. Those kids would probably leave for whoever the top program is at the minute if they want to leave You know the area. Most kids stay home. I think what you've seen with Alabama is that you know they've they've gotten uh, Najee Harris and uh, uh, the uh, Tagovailoa obviously, and then last year with Cameron Latu, or recently with Cameron Latu. So there's guys that they can get, but the vast majority of the kids out west that they offered will not go there and might visit Alabama, but will not seriously consider them as that final option because at the end of the day. Even though Alabama has an amazing football program and a lot to offer, the move from Southern California, where most of these kids are, to Alabama is just a little bit too much. Um, so I don't think USC should be worried about it at all. Uh, the two kids on the defensive line, since you mentioned the defensive line that I want to that I want to talk to you about, that I'm sure are the two kids you're looking at, are Fatui Tuitele from Hawaii and Sayaki Ika, the former BYU commit from Utah. Uh, those are two that have Alabama offers. They're strongly considering Alabama. Uh, they, uh, the Crimson Tide might beat out uh, uh, SC4, and they're two kids that SC wants badly. So those are the two that maybe I'd be worried about. Of the two, I think Ika is probably a little bit more likely to make that trip to Alabama, but I would pick SC over Alabama for both of them. Marty, I would not be worried about this. Uh, really? Because at, yeah, at the end of the day, Alabama's just too far away. Look at SC's, look at what Alabama's done and the run they're on, and look at the kids that they offered uh, last year and the kids that SC beat them out for. Isaac Taylor Stewart didn't go to Alabama. He went to SC. Elijah Griffin didn't go to Alabama. He went to USC. You know, Devin Williams didn't go to Alabama. He went to USC. How many quarterbacks would Alabama want that SC's gotten. I know they got Tagovailoa, but outside of that, SC usually has the advantage there. I wouldn't worry about it. It's a regional thing. Most kids want to stay close to home. Gosh, I, I'm i surprised that that's your take. Really? But, yeah, because you mentioned a couple of skill players, and you're right. They rarely will go, but the linemen are going, and that's what I think is probably the missing piece for USC right now. If if we if you had to pick one area in which that uh, that would propel USC over the top and make them a national contender, I mean no, nothing's guaranteed in terms of a championship, but why they're on the outside looking in, I think it's in the trenches. I agree, but I don't think it's cuz of Alabama. No, but I, I'm I would be concerned that if Alabama's taking my linemen, taking my top targets, because that's who USC hasn't been getting. They're, not, they're not getting a lot of their top targets in the trenches, uh, nationally or just in the West. I think in the West they do. I just don't think they develop them. Uh, there are a handful that we can name that... Like, I remember why I gave us going to Ohio State. They don't have to all go to Alabama, but just them not ending up at USC. I yeah, mean, I, th I think USC has a recruiting problem in the sense that it's not at the level that it was and that it's masked by their name and the fact that they're going to get almost every kid out of Southern California anyway. I agree with you there. I'd be If I was a USC fan, I'd be worried 
about their their ability to recruit top targets nationally and their ability to get five stars from outside of Los Angeles and outside of the West Coast. And I would be worried about their ability to recruit, recruit guys in the trenches because a lot of the best big kids, uh, big-bodied kids, are in the South. Uh, there are a lot out West, too, but you, I feel like you do have to be able to recruit out of the region most years uh, to get a, to have a good quality offensive and defensive line every year. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there. I just with Marty's question, I wouldn't be concerned with Alabama coming west to take targets away from USC. I don't think that. I think it happens a little bit. I think USC would prefer that that doesn't happen, but I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is that USC doesn't develop in the trenches. If we're talking about those players. And I think that the problem is, is they're not attracting the top, top guys from out of state at those positions. Yeah. I guess I'm looking at Alabama as the face of national recruiting. Because I, I feel like, like, yeah, maybe not Alabama specifically is a huge threat. But I think a lot of the elite schools that are migrating west and plucking top linemen out of here is a problem for USC. Yeah, and I'd also, if, if he had asked, you know, um, is is it an issue that, you know, it seems like Alabama and USC, when they go head-to-head for top national kids, more times than not, Alabama beats them. Is that a problem? Is that something USC should be concerned about? I'd say yes. Yeah, you're just not concerned about the kids that are from the West. I I'm not you. concerned about Alabama getting kids yeah. from California away from USC, really. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I think we said this before, though. A couple of years ago, Pete Carroll gets Najee Harris. Yes. And he gets two Tagovailoa. Yes. And Steve Sarkeesian gets Tate Martell. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. It's true, but whatever. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on. Moving on. USC Ether says, I'm concerned Stephen Carr is going to have a tough time staying healthy this season. Tell me I'm crazy, and then tell me your thoughts on it. Adam, you want to start? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not going to tell you you're crazy. I think it's a legitimate question. I don't want to call it a concern yet. I would be concerned if Carr is not good in training camp. If Carr isn't 100%. He's supposed to be. And therefore, that's why I'm going to hold off on calling it a concern. Because if he's fine, then it's totally possible that what happened last year was a bit fluky. When I look at him and... From what I've been told about his work ethic, I don't question his ability to perform. And and that's why I'd like to believe that he's going to be fine and this is just a couple weird injuries. But, you know, they were back-to-back and they kind of sabotaged what could have been an electric freshman year. And he hasn't, we haven't seen him be him in nine months now. It was September that he shined. That's a long time ago now. 
So I understand why you worry about it, and uh, he's so important to them. I think that he might be their best player on the whole team, either side of the ball. He, he might be that, uh, at the very least, the best offensive player. He looked like it when he was healthy. But he looked very different when he was playing through an injury that he wasn't aware of late last season, when he had already come back from the plantar fasciitis. And he had a back issue that was just causing him pain, but not enough to keep him off the field. There, there was no awareness of a herniated disc. And that comes back to the medical staff. You know, we, we've seen this now for a long time, where injuries are misdiagnosed or missed, and it has long-standing ramifications. So, not to put fear in you guys, but uh, I'm not sure right now. I'm, I'm not sure, and that's why we have to wait till training camp. And, and that's something that I will closely monitor because when a, when, a, when a kid's practicing the way that you know he's capable of, then he usually will play that way. And I'm reminded of Daniel Madrebebe, who, in my view, has not looked like himself for a year. And that, that happened last summer as well, where he initially was injured and then never looked right in training camp, in the remainder of fall practice, obviously throughout the entire season. And then what happens? He's out for a spring as well. So I'll tell you guys. I'll tell you exactly the way he's going in training camp once we get there. Do you think You're it's right. a Do you think it's a, a a real concern? What do you think? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't think he's crazy at all. And let me tell you why. Stephen Carr is a special athlete. I think we can all agree on that. I think he's an elite athlete. I think that he's clearly a football star if he's healthy. But there's two. There's another part of this game outside of just being a freak star athlete. You have to stay healthy if you're a running back. You have to be able to take these shots at the college level and stay healthy. And for all the hype that Stephen Carr had coming in, look, he was a five-star on a bunch of networks just outside of that on the Rivals Network. He was ranked in the top 30, whatever, something. I think he was the number two running back in the country. What did we not know about him? How durable he was coming in. Why? Because we're seeing him play seven-on-seven, seven, no pads, passing link football. That's where he's shining. Uh, that's where the speed comes into play, and that's where he got that big ranking. And then he goes into the, his high school season, and let's be honest, he wasn't in the Trinity League. He was running all uh, over the Inland Empire, Little Sisters of the Poor, basically. Nobody had a chance to tackle that kid in the league he played in. Uh, so we didn't know. We knew about his athleticism. We knew about his explosiveness. We knew about his speed. Uh, even though there is a jump from, from high school to college, we knew about those things, but we never knew about his durability. When he got to college, he showed all those things that we were impressed with in high school translated. Oh my gosh, this kid looks like a star, looks like a future Heisman Trophy contender. Some fans were talking about how he's better than Ronald Jones already right away. 
Well, then he starts getting hurt. And that's a part of the game. That is a part of being a star at the college level, at the pro level, is you don't get hurt and you play through it and you're okay. And, and injuries, that's what it's about. And it is a concern because that was his first year. If he doesn't stay healthy, he's not Stephen Carr. So can he do it? It's, it's, it's totally fair to be worried about that. He's young and he's already seems injury prone. Seems like that might be a fair thing to say about him. So I would be concerned if I was a USC fan about Stephen Carr. But I think if he's healthy, if he does stay healthy, I think he's going to be a great player. One last thing about this. The nature of his injuries are not something that, if he heals, should bother him this season. It's not he tore his ACL where that can really kind of trickle into the following season. So there is that. It, both the, the plantar fasciitis and the herniated disc. Now, it, it could be something that reoccurs. That's a different issue. But just the initial injury, it's not where, okay, he had the surgery and there's a nine-month recovery and he probably will be his best self in a, you know, another year after he comes back. Like we saw with like Justin Davis. That's not the nature of his injuries. But uh, yeah, you, you hope he's on the field. And you hope he's normal. Because they need him to be really good. He's, he's not the quarterback. But he's really important to this team. If they're going to compete for the Pac-12. I don't see them winning the conference without Stephen Carr being good. Are we on to the next question? I think so. Yeah. Thank you, USC Ether. Trojan Fan 68 says, Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Trojan Fan 68. Question for Adam. So we'll start here, yeah. and we'll wait for Adam's answer. Adam, what are your three keys to winning the Pac-12 again if USC is to repeat. Okay, well, I just gave you one. That, that would be Stephen Carr. Him being back, him being right. That would be one. Another one would be getting good play from your quarterback. It might not be consistently good, but generally it needs to be good. If it's average... I think that'll be hard to win the conference. Now, because you can win the division without dominating it, you can kind of weasel your way into the conference title game. But if we're talking what USC did last year, which they you know they barely won that Pac-12 championship, but they played really well in the Pac-12 in terms of their record. They they went eight and one, and then they they won the conference title game. They went undefeated in the South. For them to to approach that, they would need good play from their quarterback. And the third key, see, we, we talk about the trenches, but I really feel like that doesn't apply to the Pac-12. I think that's more national. If they were gonna 
be a Final Four team. They need to be better in the trenches. They need to be great on both sides of the ball. I don't think they have to be great. I think they could just be good in uh, on the O-line and on the D-line to win the Pac-12. So I wouldn't call that the key. Do you have another key here? I, I, don't, I don't have a third key. I think that the corners have to be really good. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you're right. Because I, I think the rest of the defense will be fine. I think they'll be able to stop the run. And I think that if their corners are really good, I think they could ha- actually have a really good defense. Yeah. And that could take them there. I, you're absolutely right. I agree with you there. So cornerback play, quarterback play, and Stephen Carr. Look at my three keys right now. Steve Sarkeesian gives you a fourth key. Fight the F on. <laughs> okay. Well, you're like in a Sark mood today. Where's that, where's I, that coming from? I, I don't know. I'm feeling Sark today. Maybe I'll get back to JT Daniels eventually. Please. Maybe. Okay. But I'm feeling a little Sark. All right. Trojan Fan 68 isn't done. He's asking He's two never questions. Done. He says, Chris Swanso question. <laughs> How do you feel or been hearing... In regards to defensive and offensive line recruiting, who are the three to five guys at each position you would take if you are USC? Okay, well, I'm going to cut you off real quick because we did get a couple questions that asked about who are our top picks at each position, you know, whether it be in the trenches or even uh, at every position. We were asked that as well. And for those... I'm referring you to the perfect class. These were asked before we had published that piece, but that is literally what that piece is. Oh. It's the top guys at every spot. And so for that, refer to that. But answer his first question, how do you feel, uh, and, and what have you been hearing in regards to the, the recruiting on the O-line and the D-line? I think they're going to do strong. In uh, both categories, I feel much more confident about offensive line. I feel like there's a lot of great options, and they feel confident with offensive line recruiting. They're taking, they're looking to take a bunch of them. I do want to give Nick three targets at DL and OL that I feel like are realistic guys. Just very quickly. Okay. Defensive line: Fatui Tuitele from Hawaii, Sayaki Ika from Utah. I mentioned both these guys earlier. Also, Matthew Polamau. The uh, younger brother of Isaiah Polamau is a top defensive lineman in 2019. I think he'll pick USC. Uh, offensive line, Jonah Tau'anunu from uh, Harbor City Narbonne High School. He's been at almost every single USC recruiting event that you can possibly go to. I'd be shocked if he didn't pick USC. Jason Rodriguez, the commit. I would have told you if we had done this before he committed that he was going to pick USC as well. I've been confident in that. And also, they recently offered a 310 uh, pound offensive tackle from the Inland Empire from Rialto named uh, Sadaoa Laumea. And I think they should look to take him too. I think big local kids are who I would look at. So Nick, if you're not looking at the perfect class and those are more of the top, top position guys, these are kind of more realistic local options that I just gave you. So there you go. I want to congratulate you for your pronunciation because I would have probably quit. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel like I mispronounced um, five of six names. I think I got Jason Rodriguez. <laughs> Although I did call him the wrong name on an earlier podcast. You called so him I'm Jacob. Really, I'm really 0 for 6. Yeah, you did call but him thank Jacob. thank you for the compliment. It's hard. 
And um, it's something that we learn once we meet them. Uh, and, you know, I, I know you're going to interview these kids, and I come upon them once they get to USC. But until then, we're just trying. <laughs> and we don't want to be disrespectful. No, I can't wait to move to Georgia, though, and cover the Bulldogs, because I'm pretty sure I won't have all these uh, Polynesian names to pronounce, but it's okay. That's my joke. I'm not moving to Georgia. Yeah, I felt borderline racist. Okay. Really? I don't know. Why not? Did it? It's just funny if you... Only borderline? Say it. I usually go way over that line. Okay. David Law, <laughs> as we try to make this into a happier podcast again, says, Chris, who is the highest rated 2019 recruit you are most confident will be a Trojan? Well, we'll start there before we get to the second question. I'll say Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm very confident he'll be a Trojan. But if you consider Brew McCoy the higher-ranked prospect, which you can, Rivals.com has Kayvon Thibodeau ranked higher, but um, some other people that we don't like as much might consider the other kid better, uh, then I'll pick Brew McCoy. So it's one of those two. It's whichever one you consider the higher-rated 20 You think they're getting recruit. both, basically? They're going to get both. Okay. They're both five stars. They're both in the top ten. Uh, by, I think, just about everybody. So they'll get both of those guys. Yeah. So that is my answer for David Law. His second question is for both of us. We're playing Draft the Trojans again. Yeah. I, I like missed this game. This game. I, I'm glad it's back. He wants us to select our combined list of top 10 re- returning players relating to who we think will have the best overall career at USC. All right, this is going to be players. fun. Now, I'm glad you see returning because I really hate doing this with true freshmen. Me too. I, I, mean, just, I, mean, I haven't even watched a practice. Maybe they were there in spring. I just don't want to do that yet. But returners, I'll let you have the first pick. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, you know what? Actually, um, I'm going with an easy pick here. And I think you're going to get frustrated with me after I pick him. Cam Smith. No. Why am I frustrated? Well, I just, because he's at the end of his career. And he's been wildly productive. That's a good pick. But it's a safe pick, too, because I'm also not projecting somebody to be better than him, numbers-wise. Yeah, it's a, a little boring, but it's not the wrong pick. Good. Okay. I want to pick Stephen Carr. I'm going to pick Stephen Carr. Really? Yeah. That makes my next pick easy because this is who I would have picked second. Tyler Vaughn's. Yeah. That's who I thought of if I didn't go with Carr. Oh, good. Okay. Vaughn's has a good start here because he had a big freshman season. I don't know that he'll play three more years at USC. Maybe he will. But I like the pick. Okay. I'm going to go with... Hmm, I'm thinking about Biggie. Already a three-year starter. See, they have a lot of guys that have kind of played this whole career and have a final season. And then they have a bunch of guys who 
have just played last year. And like Isaiah Polamal, I think, will be really good, but he hasn't even played yet. <laughs> yeah. But he has been there for a year. He's a returner. This is hard. Do you already know who you're picking? Uh, I'm torn between three. Okay. Actually. All right. Do you want me to tell you? The three? No, no, no. I just uh, trying to buy myself time. And do you want me to pick one? I'm no. I'm just wondering if you actually knew because I'm. I'm just. I'm not sure. This is a really good exercise for what we think of whom. Uh, yeah, I mean, Clay said this team did not have a star on it, and he was not kidding. This is when... The, there's a black, a fade to black in the movie, and then it says 20 hours later. <laughs> and we come back. There are a lot of guys that I think can become a star. And we know a couple of them will. So I'm not trying to insult the roster. We just don't... It, it's not like last year. It, it's not like you got Darnold and Rojo and Rasheem and Uchenna. And even Deontay. Can I give you a name that I think people will, will be mad at us for not picking right here? No. Okay. All right, go ahead. Porter Gustin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's in year four. True. And you don't, you don't have a lot. I th- and I also think you could right here, you know, if you're picking him, you could probably pick Biggie Marshall like you mentioned yeah. or Marvell Tell or, you know. Daniel Mater Baby can come back and have two big seasons. That's possible. Um, Michael Pittman has two years left. I feel like we took the obvious top three, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I've uh, wasted enough of your guys' time. I'm going to say Isaiah Pole now. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'll take Porter Gustin here. All right. Another struggle for Adam Maya. If Biggie has a good year and Christian Rector has a good year, who had... Well, Rector has two years left. That's the hard part. See, I'd take Marshall over him. But Rector has two years left. It's the potential there. But there's also potential that he doesn't come anywhere near what Marshall did. Yeah. All right, I'll take Biggie. Okay. I'm going to take a stretch here, my first stretch. Josh Follow. Okay. I thought of him too. Okay. Yeah. If I knew 
how much he was going to play. Or if, if I knew that he would play a lot, then I probably would have taken him. He might play a lot, but I don't know. I just feel like he might have a stretch where he's kind of like their star tight end for a year or two straight. Yeah. And I don't know if we've seen that in a while. Okay, I'm going to go with Brandon Peely. Nice. I like that pick. Is this number 10? I forgot to keep track. <laughs> I think I, that was number 8. I think I picked 4, you picked 4. Okay. So I'm picking 9. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, uh, oh yeah, returning. I was about to pick a freshman that was there in the spring. Um, I'll take Jackie Jones. All right. I think he comes back strong. I'm going to take Austin Jackson. Okay. Okay. Who did we leave out? Who did we miss? Well, I, I think Rector is definitely worthy of consideration. Jordan Alcefa. Yeah. Marvell Tell, right? Just because he's been. Yeah, Marvell. In fact, I mean, Marvell already has done a lot. And if he has a great year, then, you know, he's right there with Biggie. Right there with Porter. And, and so really what I see, I, I think we could do the draft five different times and end up with, you know, another, like, I mean, some of the people would definitely, you know, Cam and, and Vons and Carr would go in every draft. But I think maybe the other seven... You could find seven other people, maybe. Or at least five other people. Yeah. That, I mean, if Jack Sears wins his job and keeps it, he can have a very good career. You're not going to say that about Matt Fink? I just said what I thought. There you go. But You don't have anything nice to say. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but they, they do have a lot of sophomores and redshirt freshmen and even a lot of redshirt sophomores who haven't... I mean, Michael Pittman, we didn't pick him. Yeah, he could have been on that list too. Easily. And like I mentioned, Imadre Bebe. So I think that after the top three, four through 15 is really a matter of preference. I, a lot of people are going to hear this and they're going to completely disagree. And they're going to have drafted five other people. And I don't think that they're wrong. I really think that the three that we can already put in pen, Cam Smith, because he's already had by far the most productive career of any current player and he's going to have another good year, I would expect. So... He might be the number one player in the Texas size. I think that there's potential for a couple people to surpass him for sure. But he is a safe pick. And then Stephen Carr, who I mentioned earlier, he might be the best player on this team. And he's only a sophomore. So if he's on the field, I expect him 
to be to have one of the most productive careers of, of any Trojan guy he plays with. And Tyler Vaughn as well. Same thing. After that, it's such a guess. Anyway. And that's what made it fun. Yeah. So thank you, David Law. That's fun. I, I already feel like I'm probably wrong. You yeah. are wrong. You're always wrong. It's okay. <laughs> We're used to it. Everybody that listens knows who to listen to. Yeah. It's me. Alan B. He's back with a question. He says, hi, guys. It's been a long time. It has been. Wishing all the Trojan family well. Guys, I'm still very suspect about our O-line coach, and it's looking like his ability to close on top-tier offensive linemen. I know his first O-line wasn't his fault, but last class and this class for sure are. Are there any signs, maybe even unspoken, that point to worry at that coaching position? If, If anything, his lack of closing on the big ones. Seems like most of the time SC is settling just a little when it comes to the O-line. Agree, disagree, opinion, thanks, love you all, and fight on forever. Thank you, Alan B31. Okay, well, Adam, what do you think? Well, before we get into answering this question, he mentioned the 2017 O-line class, which I think is widely revered. That's the one that includes Jackson and Andrew Voorhees. Uh, there were five of them. Elijah Vera Tucker, who redshirted, but I, I thought showed promise this spring. And while he might be a backup this season because he's behind veterans, he's someone that I think will be a starting lineman for them. And then Brett Meline was really good when he filled in for Toa this spring. And... Uh, Again, probably will be a backup this year, but looks like uh, could be a future starter. And then Jalen McKenzie gives him a little bit of versatility because he could play tackle and guard. He's a good enough athlete to do it. He might be reserved for a couple years, but at the same time, you need guys like that. So this past class was smaller, and Liam Douglas isn't even there yet. Justin Didich also performed very well, especially for a true freshman. It was just a smaller class. The gripe might be that outside of Jackson, they were beaten for a lot of their initial top targets. And that's why we do the perfect class, because we try to identify who are the first guys that they're going for, that they're aiming for. And... We're looking at the entire country. It's not just merely the the top rated O lineman at every or the top rated player at every position, but it's people that they offered early or that they've been aggressively pursuing that we know they would take immediately if they got their commitment. That's who we put in that feature. And if you look back at who they offered last year or the year before, the majority of them they did not get. Jackson would be the exception, although there were other people even at his position that they were higher on initially, but I think they would have taken Jackson with them, not in place of him. 
So, just to give a little bit of context to that question, because I wouldn't call it a disappointment, but I do understand that they're not landing all the elite guys that they, they, that they want. They're just not. And I don't pin that entirely on Callaway. Now, he's going to bear the, the brunt of it, and I'm not going to absolve him either. But USC, because they recruit by committee, and I think there's a lot to sell at USC beyond your position coach. I, I think a part of this comes back to Clay. I think that, and, and that's just kind of that was part of the deal when they hired him. Although I think Clay is a good recruiter and works really hard at recruiting, he isn't the brand that uh, a lot of the coaches that he's competing with for these guys are. And I think he loses because of it at times. Yeah, I, I think it's a completely fair concern because, um, you know, I look at, I know you said last year was a smaller class. Obviously, Justin Dietrich looks good. We don't know what Liam Douglas is going to be yet. Maybe he's really good. I know he's a really good athlete. But it seemed like last year they didn't get uh, a high-end offensive line class, and that's something I think USC should always get. Missed on Penae well. Probably missed on some others uh, that I'm forgetting at the moment or maybe some others out west. I think that the fact that they didn't offer Tommy Brown, the kid from modern day, I, I think that people didn't buy it because he went to Alabama. So that almost feels like a miss too. Where it seems like, yeah, you probably should have taken that kid, right? Um, so I think it's fair to question the 2018 class. I know 2017 was strong, but if I'm remembering uh, Wyatt Davis's uh, graduating class correctly... They missed on a five-star offensive lineman from St. John Bosco. And that's a big deal. Um, and, you know, so I, I just I just see enough. I see enough misses uh, where I think, yeah, I, I think it's fair uh, to be worried. And, uh, and you know, I, I with the lack of development, I think it's fair to be worried as well because USC, uh, if they were fine, if, if the offensive line was doing well, I wouldn't worry about it. And I tell everybody, look, yeah. they're signing a bunch of four stars. They usually get the top of the cream of the crop in Southern California along the offensive line. They get most of those guys. It's fine. They have the most, probably, you know, the most talented or one of the most talented offensive lines uh, in terms of these high school recruiting rankings in the Pac-12, if not in the entire country. But it's not going well. So, uh, so I think that there is... Reason to be concerned about the recruiting. I don't think it is the recruiting. I think it is development more than anything. But look, when you're leaving Wyatt Davis and Panay Sewell and other guys on the board and you're not getting all of your top, top targets and you're not recruiting, you know, you're not getting five stars outside of the West Coast or, you know, east of Utah or whatever. Yeah, it's fair to be concerned about that. And I don't think they're recruiting at their highest level in the trenches. So I, I think it's a totally fair opinion but they're recruiting good enough that they should be just fine they should be better than fine they should have a really good offensive line they should be able to figure that out i agree and for some reason they just can't they haven't for too long i'm looking at the perfect class and i'll tell you guys we paid usc to take four linemen 
I think they could take a fifth, depending on how they shake out with the numbers. But they're going to at least sign four. That's the need. And they, they need tackles. It seems like they always do. And this year is no different. They really need them. So three of the four that we slotted into those spots are tackles. And three of the four are from out of state. Like way out of state. We're talking Michigan, Florida, and West Virginia. And one component that we added to this year's edition of the Perfect Class is we had Swanson give us odds, 50-50 odds, whether the player was over or under 50-50 to sign with USC. And with three of the four, you said under 50, under 50% likely. Yeah. And, you know, surprise, the three unders are from out of state. I just think that you're not going to get all three of them, of course, but get one. Get one. If, if these are your top guys, get one from out of state. You know, I mean, try to get two, but, but at least get one. And we've kind of been through this before, but, you know, they're, they're not really getting much east of Utah. And they can live within the confines of, of Utah to Hawaii to win the Pac-12. But I don't think they're winning a national championship with just focusing on that area or pulling from that area. If they had arguably the best coaching staff in the country, I think they could. Yeah. I mean, I think there's enough talent sure, to do it. Sure. But you, you have to be great. Yeah. And let's just say they're good. You know, we're not crapping on them. Let's say they're good. Let's say they're above average. Then you need great talent. And too many of the top linemen, too many of the, yeah, too many of the top linemen are, are outside the West. And USC just kind of living in the West. And I think that's where they, uh, that's as far as they get for that reason. So, let's move on. Trojan Mac One says, "Please provide an overview of USC's top prospect for 2019 for each position, and where that recruit stands in their recruiting." All right, no problem. Yeah. I got you. Well, that's the perfect class. And, and again, this was asked. This is another one of the questions I referred to, uh, and and that's why we did that. Well, we were going we were already working on that piece in Yes, but. I'm going to give them some guys out west, though. It will be quick. Okay. Um, so, for quarterback right now, it's Jaden Daniels, but I don't think they're going to get him. He's the only uncommitted quarterback that they've offered, though, that they still have a shot with. If I had to give you another name, I'd say Spencer Radler is their top quarterback uh, recruit at this moment. He's committed to Oklahoma. I would guess he sticks there. Running back, I would say it's Jordan Wilmore. I would think he's leaning towards being a Trojan. USC is definitely one of his top schools. He's around all the time. Tight end, I think Jude Wolf is probably their top target from St. John Bosco. 
He's around all the time. Uh, he's had a lot of good visits. I would guess he probably ends up at USC. There's some other options there, and they're recruiting some other tight ends, though. So we'll see, but that would be my guess. Offensive lineman, Harbor City uh, tackle Jonah Tawanunu, who I mentioned before, is around USC all the time. USC is in his top 10. He recently released a top 10. I think they're the favorite to get him. Wide receiver Brew McCoy from Modern Day has USC in his top 12. They're the favorite to get him. Uh, I would be kind of surprised if he went anywhere else. Defensive line, Fatui Tuitele from Hawaii. He has USC as one of his top schools. I think it's going to be a battle because he's a defensive lineman that everybody wants. I would pick SC at this point if I had to pick. Linebacker Kayvon Thibodeau, one of, arguably one of the best players in the country. I think USC has a really good shot to get him. If I had to pick right now, I'd pick USC. Defensive back Chris Steele at St. John Bosco. Uh, one of the best defensive backs in the country. Five-star, if I had to pick right now, I would pick USC. He has USC listed as one of his top schools. That was impressive. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, See? This is what our site is, and this is what we bring to the table. Chris, well done. Uh, we do have a lot more in the perfect class, but that is a good preview. Well, this and also that's just a small sampling because – if you go and you actually look back at our recruiting coverage and you read all the stories that I do, um, you'll find that there's information on our site that isn't anywhere else. Uh, I, I don't want to brag, but I feel like I'm the only one that actually sits down every day and makes it a point to try to talk to every kid that USC has offered a scholarship to or that they're recruiting or that's been on campus. And so, yeah, that's just a small sampling of what? Uh, eight kids. I've talked to hundreds in the last couple months. All right. So, sign up. All right. Are we on to Exodus 1? I think we're on to his question. Yep. He asks, what would you say are USC's top five must-have recruits in this class? We will stop. We will start there. Kayvon Thibodeau, Brew McCoy, Chris Steele uh, are the three that I think are obvious. They're the top three out west. The other two that I'm about to name are my take. I'd say offensive tackle Devontae Dobbs from Bellevue, Michigan. Recently visited USC. I was the only one to talk to him about that visit. Uh, has USC listed as one of his top schools. He's one of the top 30 players in the country right now, according to Rivals.com. USC needs to sign an offensive tackle like that. So I, to me, he's one of their five must-have recruits in this class. And then for number five, I would say the best tailback available. There's not a guy that jumps out to me right now. But I think that uh, if I were USC, I would make it a priority to sign a five-star running back. I feel like they need more of those guys as well. And I think they really should have a chance, given what their depth chart's about to look like in the future. Uh, yeah. Exodus 1. Gets, I, I want to piggyback oh, on that, because running back is, I think, one of the bigger priorities in this 2019 class. And uh, people might wonder why, but Akacentric Ware, he's a senior um, but by, I, he's not going to be a feature back. You know, he's complimentary. He's really good. I like him. I think he can do a lot for them and I expect him to, to help the team for the next three years. But, uh, you know, now we have Stephen Carr and, and all the questions with, with his health. And then Marquis Stepp, I don't, we don't know yet. We don't know if he would be a feature back or not. But uh, running back is a position where because it's so volatile, uh, injury-wise, you want to bring in a top back every year. This year, I think they want to bring in two backs, and I wholeheartedly agree. You want to bring in, like, another Rojo. 
is what you really want. You want another... Rojo should have been a five-star, but Rivals missed on that one. Um, he, You want someone like that. You want a guy that is going to eventually run for 1,500 yards. Rashad Penny should have been a five-star as well. <laughs> All right. Exodus One also asks, what other programs are using to recruit against USC, their recruiting spin? I'll just say that I haven't heard... Uh, anything, I think that that narrative's a little bit overblown. Yeah. My guess would be that if anybody's saying something against USC, which I would say probably isn't against them, but I would think that a lot of schools that don't win the Pac-12 championship or have seasons where they struggle probably pitch a lot of, hey, look at the depth chart here. We need you. You'll play. That's That would be my guess. I think USC maybe this year can do that a little bit more, but most years it's it's hard uh, for them to pitch that post sanctions and the sanctions they could do that all the time but not anymore so thank you exodus one we're on to jet lag matt yeah he asks after a full spring practice i'm interested in hearing your take on the impact of having tim drevno on staff what will be his responsibilities where can we expect expect to see improvement and how well has he meshed with players and the others on the staff? Adam, take it away. Well, this is something that we definitely addressed at the beginning of spring, but I think we can all use a refresher. So I posed this question to Drebno, uh, day one of spring practice. I asked him, what does a pass protection coordinator mean? Because that wasn't a term that we heard much of. And he pointed to third down. He said, you know, I'm really responsible for making adjustments because that is the down where defenses typically will change their personnel and be a little bit more aggressive, obviously. And they might bring in an extra pass rusher or do something different with their best pass rusher. And so he talked about putting a sideboard on that individual and the different keys that might go with the, the protection. Um, but he said that his job is really to help Neil Calloway. Uh, he's not going to be Neil Calloway like some might think or want. Um, he Clay also mentioned that Drevno will have a say in play calling. But it did not sound like it would be to the extent of Tyson Hilton. It sounds like T. Martin will be the primary play caller and at times maybe the exclusive play caller. That was not the case with Tyson Hilton. So they're transitioning right now. And, and that's at least their plan going in. Uh, of course, that could all change. We'll see. A key is someone that is, I think, flexible and is not... Doesn't, I don't think the impression is difficult to work with in the way that maybe offensive coordinators sometimes can be where they're on a power trip. And maybe you value that in offensive coordinator, but whether you do or not, I don't think that's who key is. So I think that Drebno is complementary. Is the best term I could use for it. Of course, he's a running backs coach, and that's his primary emphasis. But if you're asking about 
his input with the offensive line, he said that it really had to do with third downs and protections. Um, in terms of his impact on the staff, I think it's premature for me to answer right now because they just went through spring practice and he's getting his bearings. The team that he coached on in 2014 was much different. The offense was different and the personnel's different and the coaching staff is very different and his position's different. And so I don't know yet uh, how he'll fit in to this group. Uh, he, I think he has a good reputation. I think his credentials are, are solid. I expect a lot from him. Like, I can't tell you yet how it's going to manifest on the field. I think it's what we all want to know. But I don't think we learn that in spring practice. I don't think we'll know that until we get into the season. I remember with Tyson, so much was made of the concepts that he brought from Western Kentucky. And I think while their offense did change, with him, not as much as we thought it might. I think his impact was greater um, in terms of the play calling, more than we anticipated when he got the job. And so with Drebno, maybe conceptually they'll be different, more than we thought, or more than we think. And maybe with the play calling, it won't, it won't be as pronounced. I don't know yet. All right. What an answer, Adam Maya. Thank you. Adam Maya, the real reason to sign up to Trojansports.com. <laughs> Alex Bow. I think he might have asked one earlier, but who cares? We're back, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Asks, who is the most underrated coach in your mind? Go for I can't it. wait. Yeah. Ooh, really? Uh, okay. What's the the last couple? Go for it. Okay. Um. I think this answer is actually pretty obvious because I feel like most coaches on the USC coaching staff are both incredibly overrated and underrated depending on which kind of fan you talk to. Hmm. Clay Helton is one or the other. Some fans, he will be underrated because they will talk about his resume and how he has no business being the coach there. And it's like, hey, he did you know, win the Rose Bowl and go to the Cotton Bowl. And then other people will talk about him like he's Pete Carroll and say that he was one more than any other USC coach. And it's like, wait, you're wrong. What are you talking about? Um, I see a lot of the same things for T. Martin. It seems like you're either on my team and you're bashing him all the time or you think he's like the best recruiter in the world and a great offensive coordinator. I see that for almost everybody. John Baxter. Yeah, we get it. We get it. Okay. So okay. Who's the most underrated coach? The two that it could only be. There's only two possible candidates. Uh -huh. Neil Calloway and Ronnie Bradford, <laughs> okay. because those two are universally panned by USC fans. <laughs> I really do not hear USC fans, either super homer or sunshine pumper USC fans, or total gloom and doomers, everything's right. gone wrong USC fans. Nobody defends them. So it's one of those two. I would lean towards Calloway. He used to be a head coach. He has, uh, he has experience at big-time programs like Alabama, um, so I would lean towards him because I think if the offensive line is good, you know, in the next couple of years, he could really make an argument of like, hey, I just got here. 
I was, you know, coaching players that had already been coached for years before I got here. It's not my fault. I think he has a real chance to switch the perception of himself if the USC offensive line starts performing. So I'll take him, but I'm not sure. Okay. Who are you taking? I'm picking someone different than the two that you said I had to pick between. Okay. But I understand, because you make a good point, and you're right. (laughs) They're almost universally panned. Even by Sunshine Poppers. I'm going with Clay. Whoa. Yeah, because I didn't think that should have been USC's hire. And with that, I thought they would struggle more. And I think he's a complete coach. I think he's good at everything. I'm not saying he's great at everything. And he might not be great at enough things for USC to win at the level that they all can really want to. We still have to figure that out with him. And that was always going to be the case because he had not been a head coach before. But I still think he's underrated. But to be fair, if you're picking him, you're picking the coach that USC is on social media calling their best football coach of all time. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Yes, they, they, they point out the fact that no one had won uh, 10 games or more their first two seasons. That's a loaded yeah. comment, which we yes, know. Yes, they are, they are lying to... <laughs> well, it's no, misleading. They are lying it's not to a lie. It's, perception. it's misleading. It's, it's a lie because they didn't. nobody played more than 10 games for like the first 200 years of college right. football. And now they're playing 15. <laughs> Yeah. It's just a lie. Yeah. They're it's lying to build the perception yeah. that he's arguably the best coach they've ever had. Yeah, it's, it's misleading. And we've already dispelled that myth, and, and I'm aware of it. I've, I've dispelled it at the same yeah, time. I, so I, I don't pay attention to their Twitter. It, okay. it's, it's unnecessary. The point yeah, is, I think I underrated him, and I believe that he's generally underrated. It's not just my opinion in terms of what I thought of him, but I think, generally speaking, when I talk to people about him, I think he's still underrated by most. As is Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. (laughs) Yeah? Sark is underrated? Yeah. You know who's not underrated? JT Daniels. So, I've been seeing Jim Mora uh, a lot on TV working with the NFL Network, and it just came to me how, okay, Jim Mora beat Kiffin, and then Orgeron, and then Sark in consecutive years. Yeah. And then he lost three times in a row to Helton. Yep. Because I know that you think Kiffin's better than Helton, and... I know that you appreciate what Sark did in recruiting and what kind of offensive mind he is. And all that is fine. But if it's going to be a bottom line thing, Helkins won more than them. I don't know why. I didn't expect it to happen. But he has. Because Steve Sarkeesian found him a really good quarterback. He did. <laughs> Helkins was involved too. I, I, I know some people just give him all the credit, and that's not the way that went down. Really, Darnold, if you want to know what really happened, 
San Clemente called USC and said, hey, we have a kid that you haven't been paying attention to and you need to, and we want you to work him out. And then they did. And Darnold blew them away. And Helkin was the point person because he was a quarterback's coach. And Stark, it was his call. And they offered and they got, they got Darnold. And Helkin was the lead recruiter, yes. But it was under Stark's watch. And, and so it's a joint effort. But neither of them found him. He came. He brought himself to USC, not totally unlike Ricky Town. Sometimes these players recruit themselves to an extent, and that's really what happened with both of them. That's just the truth. There you go. They were not looking Adam, at Sam Darnold. Adam, I give you the truth. Now, you might have heard the story about Orgeron. Orgeron was recruiting Kyle Murphy. He was at San Clemente. He noticed Darnold playing linebacker and was then informed that, well, that's actually our future quarterback. Darnold was the backup quarterback at that point. And because he was too good to just not play, he played wide receiver and he played linebacker. That's how good he was as an athlete. And so Orgeron was tipped off about Darnold. But by the time Darnold had become a quarterback for San Clemente, Orgeron was out of USC. So it's just kind of a weird thing where they were all fortunate, and Darnold included. They, They all benefited from what happened. But this wasn't... This wasn't this uh, diamond in the rough that that USC unearthed. That's just not the way it happened. Darnold was a bit under the radar, and you know uh, USC worked out a lot of quarterbacks, and they looked at a lot of kids, and they knew who he was, and they looked at him. They weren't high on him initially, but they did the right thing, and, and that's why I think you point to Stark because. Ultimately, it was his decision. Helton played a part in that as well. Uh, I know that Darnold wasn't even totally comfortable with Stark. You know, he didn't have a, a close relationship with him, but he did with Helton. And that mattered. But Darnold also wanted to go to USC you know, throughout his childhood. And the moment that he got that offer, uh, it was basically you know, a formality that he would commit there. Nice. Okay. Glad we covered all that. Another reason to be on the podcast. Jack53 asks, my favorite question, I can't wait to answer this. <laughs> okay. Where do you project this year's team to land in the national conversation? Jack, they will land outside of it. Yeah, I don't mean to be abrupt either, but they're they're landing outside of it. Don't want to be rude, just being honest. I was surprised to read this question. Um, again, I think that they can lay the foundation for a national title team with this team. The foundation, that is. But 
they're not going to be in the national conversation. Not in 2018. But thank you, Jack. Please ask a question again. We appreciate you, as you know, as a friend of the show. Conscious B asks us, if USC has the year, each of you assume that they will have, who is a likely first-rounder, if any? Okay. Now, when I didn't quite get that question, what we assume that they will have. I don't know if Conscious B uh, telepathically understood how, you know, how we felt about their, you know, their prospects this season. We just kind of answered that question right now. So, I mean, it helps, obviously, if, if you know, to win big, to produce a first-rounder, but it, those aren't mutually exclusive. So I'm not sure exactly what the question means, what we assume um, the team will have. Unless he means the player. If he meant to say, if... Uh, if the USC player has a, you know, the, the year that we assume they will have, who's likely a first rounder. Anyway, I, I'm gonna I don't think he's asked the. I don't think it matters what a, what year we assume they have. I think he's just saying, based on what you think will happen, who's going in the first round. Yeah, but he mentioned the team, and then he's asking about individual players. I didn't quite get it, but I'll answer the back half. Who's likely a first rounder? I don't think they have one. I don't either. I don't. I'm not. I don't even think that they have one that like might get into the first round. I I just don't think that could have won, um, nope. in the 2019 draft. I agree, completely agree. But he's back for more. Okay, which is good because we didn't give him too much there. Percentages for the likelihood of the following. Okay. Jackie Jones is supplanted mid-season. Let's just start there and go one by one. What, what's your percentage on that happening? If he's supplanted, I think it would be because he was in trouble, not because of on-the-field production. So the percentages for me are really low um, because it, I think it would happen. If it were to happen, it would happen before mid-season because he's in trouble. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I, I, the way it's you want written, to say supplanted by mid-season? Yeah, well... Or go there? Yeah, and, and the way it's written, I understood it to mean... Someone takes the job because of the way he's playing. But I don't think that would be the reason why he would be supplanted. So, Conscious B, just have Adam write your questions next time. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I, I do try to uh, understand what, what's being asked and, and answer it as best as I can. <laughs> Therefore, um, I think the percentage is probably like 10 to 20. Pretty low. I'd say 33. 33, okay. Yes. All right. Because I, I think that there is a chance that he could get into trouble. He missed spring because of trouble. So. Yeah, and again, I, I was trying to address the uh, the production aspect of it. I know. I think for, Number two. for that reason, maybe low. I know. Number two. The percentages for the likelihood of the following, remember. USC signs a five-star commit outside the West region. Zero mm. percent chance. Really? Zero percent chance. It will not happen. Wow. When's the last time it happened? Was it Kenny Bigelow? Yeah, 2013. Yeah, zero percent chance. 
they're also not going to have the year to be able like like if they did go undefeated i'd be like oh they are going to sign somebody you know what i mean like i think it'll just happen no they're not going to have the year they don't have the staff the recruits the way that they need to to do that zero they will probably sign three five-star players at least inside the West region. Okay. Well, but they will get no one outside the West that's a five-star. We definitely yeah. have uh, a few that are included in the perfect class. Um, but again, that's an idealistic look, of course. I don't want to say zero. I don't think it's ever zero for USC. Even if they're not winning at the level you think they should be, uh, even if they haven't really done it in a few years, Zero is too extreme in my mind. I think there's always a shot that there would be a kid of that caliber who wants to go to USC and has wanted to go there and we just don't know that yet or don't realize uh, that it doesn't take much for him to ultimately make that leap. And so it's unlikely. Uh, It's doubtful. But zero... No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 15 percent. Can I tell you that this year in particular, it feels even more unlikely. Yeah, tell us more. Well, okay, so maybe it's just because that right now there's 17 five stars in the rivals 100. Yeah, there will probably be low 30s. Well, it's always it's always about 32. They they try to match it up with the first round of the NFL draft because. Of course, when you're projecting a five-star, it's someone that you believe in four years will be drafted in the first round for basically a very different sport. Yes. No, totally. Well, four of those Naturally. seven... Hey, you don't have to, you don't have to tell me. But I, this, this is why it feels low to me right now. Yeah. Maybe my mind will change. Four of those 17 uh-huh. that are five-stars on Rivals.com are committed already to other programs. Yeah. So that that's 13 players now that we're looking at. And then you have, I believe, four. It's three. Three in California. Yeah. So that's down to 10. Mm-hmm. And if you look at those 10 players that are remaining, that are outside the West Coast, that are five stars, I don't believe one of them lists USC as a favorite school right. at this point. So maybe when that number doubles, I'll go down the list and go, oh, there's a guy that they offered, oh, he put them in his top... Like, for example, Eric Young's at 24. Yeah. He has, he's a cornerback from Texas. He has USC among his favorite schools. If he becomes a five-star, that percentage moves up because then, oh, I could see that. I don't yeah. expect it. I see Devontae Dobbs is 29. If he's a five-star, again, he visited, has USC among his top schools. I could see it happening. I don't expect it. Yeah. Right now, there's not one kid. Not one five-star kid from outside the West Coast that I think they even have a chance at. But yeah. there's only 17 right now. Yeah, I mean, at this very moment, it seems dire. And I think there's a little bit of wiggle room here because it's May. So that's why I'm saying 15. Maybe 15 is a little high. Maybe it's 10. The point is, I don't think it's hopeless. Um, but you do raise a good point about a handful of them will be committed. Another handful are going to be in the West. So there aren't that many people that we're even looking at that could potentially commit to USC or sign with USC. But zero just seems wrong. It's too low. It's It's wrong. It's more than zero. 
It, it's not high. No. Okay. You're wrong. It, it might even be closer to zero than 15. Okay, I, I could still be wrong there if we're doing the whole, like, uh, price is right thing. But it's greater than zero. But you have to love this show because it's the only USC podcast where one of the hosts will say there's a 0% chance they sign a five-star from outside the West Coast, and then we'll fight about it. And it's more fun that way. It's always more fun that way. We tell you the His, truth. We Well, or what we think the truth is. And then if we look dumb, we look dumb. It's all good. Conscious B has a third one for us, a third percentage. Okay. Percentage for the likelihood of the following. Brian Ellis, not Tim Drebno, is the next offensive coordinator when T. Martin leaves USC. I like this one a lot. I do, too, actually. Now, initially, when Drebno got hired, I thought, okay, that's what this is all about. Uh, I didn't really think about the offensive line. Most people did, and it might still be that. He might transition to O-line coach, but I also really believed it was more about being the offensive coordinator and waiting because I expect Kim Martin to leave in the next few years. Now, now that I've had a chance to sculpt the scene a little bit with Drevno in the mix and, and Brian Ellis, really, you know, he just got promoted as well. To me, he looks like he's their, their future. And uh, I expect his input on play calling and his partnership with Key to even exceed Drebno's right now. And so I'm going to say that it's probably 55%. It's more likely to happen than not. Wow. See, you're going to make me feel crazy because I thought I was going to be the one on this side of things, but I'm going way past you in percentage. I think it's like 90%. Really? Yeah, I think it's happening. When I think of USC, I think of Tim Drevno, I'm like, he might be. He might leave at any time. He left before after not staying there that long. I there might be. Leaving. I I, mean, I get Maybe you. Not. I just don't. I, I had that conversation with him. And, I mean, coaches can say anything, and they do. But one point that he did emphasize was that, you know, he, he talked about his wife. Like, we're going back. We're going back home. Because he's from here. And when he left the other time, that, I think, was largely shaped by what was happening with Harbaugh with the 49ers. You know? That, yeah. That was, that we, that was just so beyond USC. USC was a, a stopgap for him, but he was not long for it. And I think this is different. He's a little bit older, but uh, I, I don't think he wants to go to other colleges. Um, he's not looking to be a head coach. Um, I mean, maybe if he got this like grandfather offer, uh, not grandfather, godfather offer to go to the NFL and and coordinate there, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's sticking at USC. I think I think he's there with Clay. I think he's there as long as Clay's there. If you want clarification, the godfather offer is when they make you an offer you can't refuse. The grandfather offer <laughs> is what they did when they offered JT Daniels a scholarship. 
<laughs> Boom. Yes, love it. Okay, anyway, back to my reasoning here. Um, even though Adam thinks he can't leave, I could see it. I might be wrong. Whatever. The other part of this answer, for why I think it's in the 90s somewhere, is that I know Brian Ellis isn't going anywhere. I know nobody's like, hey, we need to get that quarterback coach away from USC, or let's make that guy an offensive coordinator right now. Nobody's saying that. And it just feels like the perfect USC hire. They're in love with him. We know they're in love with Brian Ellis. They think he's wonderful. They already gave him a job he might not deserve. It just doesn't seem like that much of a stretch for them to be like, oh, we love you. Be our offensive coordinator. I, I just feel yeah. like it's happening. I feel like that's what care. USC does. They fall in love with a guy that's at USC, and then no matter what, he just gets promoted along, promoted along until, you know, yeah. he, he's in that spot. So I, that's, I, I honestly expect Brian Ellis to be USC's offensive coordinator someday. I do too. I think uh, I want to just add a little bit more. Uh, I think you have a good logic here, and I, I feel that if T. Martin were to leave in a year because that's so soon, then maybe Drebnil becomes the coordinator first, or they become co-coordinators. It just seems a little early for Ellis to become the coordinator now. That's all. But I yeah. do think that he's the future coordinator, and uh, and so 55% might be too low. 90 seems a bit high, but uh, we agree that we think that he will be the USC offensive coordinator at some point. Boom. We called it with T. Martin, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Last question. All right. Ship season. Yeah. Which is not about boats. It's about championships. I just put that together recently, his username. Yeah. Good job. What is, what is more likely to happen? A title appearance under Andy Enfield in the NCAA tournament for the basketball program or a title appearance for the football program under Clay Helton and the NCAA playoff. Do you want to go or me? Oh, I'll start, okay. I guess. This is a fun one. Really? I think it's obvious. It's Helton. It has to be Helton. Uh, just based on the fact that USC football is what it is and USC basketball is what it is, it almost feels like Hey, Clay Helton's doing a good job, doing better than I expected, right? Take nothing away from the guy. But it almost feels like USC can kind of just end up there with the football team. Like maybe they don't even need the right coach to kind of just be almost there or right there, you know? Um, and he's gotten close already. I feel like that could happen. I would definitely pick it over Enfield because I feel like USC basketball is just another Pac-12 basketball program. That's what they are. I know they finished second in the conference, but they really weren't that much different from like the number six team. I think Utah went further than them in the NIT. It just they yeah. don't feel that special to me. So, and I, I'm I'm not sold on their coaching staff. I I was happy with that hire when it happened. I was happy when they put that staff together. I feel like it hasn't worked out. I'm personally ready to move on. So I think Helton gets there first. I think basketball. Um, we're waiting to shoot that program and put it out of its misery at this point. It's a slow death, but. It's not where it should be. It's not where people says it is. And there is absolutely no chance they ever make uh, the basketball championship with this coaching staff. And they probably won't ever make it. Yeah. Well, 
I like the question because there are different schools of thought with the two sports. With the basketball program, I think it's actually a lot easier. And they're not close. They're, they're, they're much further away. But the nature of the tournament allows for it much greater than college football. In college football, you have to be near perfect. We talked about it. Even last year, USC went 11-2, and two, and they were number eight. And had they been 12-1, and one, I'm not confident that they would have been selected for that number four spot over Alabama. I, I don't think they would have been. I think they would have been number five. So... Most years, I think 12-1 and one would get you in the Final Four. But some years in the Pac-12, you got to be undefeated. And even the great Pete Carroll had two undefeated regular seasons and one undefeated season. So it's really hard to get there. But we know that they have a much better program and... We expect them to be on the verge of contention or in contention most seasons, right? That's why you went with football. With basketball, just make the tournament. Get hot. You have to win five games in the tournament. And you're going to play a couple teams that, that aren't great in the early rounds, more often than not. And then you have to win a couple big games. But it, it doesn't take nearly as much. It's just a matter of getting into the tournament, which is why I think the team and the fan base was so disappointed about them not making the tournament because there's that hope that if you make it, that any you know that anything can happen. But from what I've seen from five years of Enfield and two years of Helton, I absolutely am not going to go with the basketball team. Nice. No. <laughs> I, I, why would I? They... They don't really beat anybody on the road. Like, I mean, year five, they won their first road game in Pac-12 play versus a, a winning Pac-12 team. It, it took five impressive. years to do it. That's impressive that you can coach for five years and still have a job without doing that. Yeah. And so the tournament is all on the road. And you, you don't play in your home arena. I mean, if you're good enough, then you, maybe you're playing near your home city. But... You don't get to play at Galen. They're not going to play these games at Galen. Not that that helped them in the NIT. No, it didn't. So, no, I, I, I don't believe in Enfield, and, and they're not making uh, an NCAA tournament title appearance. With Clay, I think that's plausible. Am I betting on it? Not yet. But uh, we talked about you know, 2020, 2021. I think it's a very realistic goal by that point for this program. And I expect Clay to be there, but, at, you know, still the coach at that point. So I'm going with Clay. And by that time, JT Daniels will have matured into an 87-year-old man. So. <laughs> okay. Good job, Chris. Is that it? Yeah. Is that our show? That's it. Wow, thank you so much for listening, you guys. As always, we really appreciate it. If you're not a member of TrojanSports.com, make sure to sign up 
at usc.rivals.com sign underscore up. We have a special going on right now. If you sign up right now, it is free until August. That special is ending soon. It is ending this week. And if you sign up now, we will also throw in a case of JT Daniels' Miracle Facial Cream. <laughs> okay. So get on that offer. What's wrong with you, man? What? <laughs> Shouldn't make so many JT Daniels jokes. I'll go back to T. Martin. All we'll right. get back to the good old days. Cody Kessler, watch your back. I'm coming for you. Yeah. For Adam Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. Thank you so much, as always. Please forgive me. Don't hold it against Adam. He needs to support his family, so sign up. Yeah, in fact, let me tell everybody, speaking of which, uh, regarding my family. Oh, gosh. I'm moving. I'm in the process of moving. I want to make sure that we recorded this podcast. We might not be able to do one next week. We might be delayed a week. I want to let everybody know that because uh, my move is really next week. I'm beginning now, but the heart of it is in a week. And... I just might not be able to record a podcast, but we will continue to do our jobs. In fact, we have an analysis right now on USC's new commit from none other than Merck Baldwin, whose podcast we don't plug enough because that's part of our network, and he does a wonderful job. He brings things to the table that that we don't, and uh, he really gets into how a player fits schematically and some of the different strengths. He has a you know really good analytical eye. And so be sure to check out his work both in the written form or the video breakdown or the podcast. I think it's part of what takes our website uh, to another level. So I agree. Check and out. he doesn't make annoying jokes about people on the team. So there's that to, to look forward to when you listen to his podcast. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. lots of great content, lots of great stuff. Remember, sign up, usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Jump on that special. The JT Daniels joke was a joke. I'm just putting that in there for legal reasons. I don't want anybody expecting face cream. I don't have any. Okay? We're done. Thank you again. We appreciate you all. We will see you next time. We promise it won't be a three-month gap. Adam Maya is just moving. It's not like a few months ago where he moved six times. So. All right, take care. Bye.